prayer of David. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things, Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me, and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed, because thou, Lord, hast opened me and comforted me. We read the word of God that far. On the basis of that and many other passages of God's word is the instruction of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 45. Lord's Day 45, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us, and also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him and are thankful for them. What are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which He will hear? First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only, who hath manifested himself in his word for all things he hath commanded us to ask of him. Secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery, that so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of his divine majesty. Thirdly, that we be fully persuaded that he, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as he has promised us in his word. What hath God commanded us to ask of him? All things necessary for soul and body, which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer he himself has taught us. What are the words of that prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we begin to consider the important spiritual discipline of prayer in the life of the child of God. This Lord's Day serves as an introduction to the remaining Lord's Days in the Catechism, which will explain in detail the various aspects of the Lord's Prayer. Recall that Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer to his disciples so that they might grow in their understanding and ability to pray. The disciples were aware of their own deficiencies in prayer. Perhaps they realized that they did not pray as often or as sincerely as they ought Perhaps they recognized that they did not always have the right words to speak and needed to learn the content of prayer. And they knew that Jesus was a man of prayer. And so they turned to him and they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught them to pray by giving to them the words of the Lord's prayer. He gave them that prayer as a model for them to follow, to teach them the basic principles about prayer. Like the disciples, we also have a need to grow in our understanding of and ability to pray. Prayer is a difficult art. As we examine our own prayer life, undoubtedly we all recognize many shortcomings and deficiencies. Many of us humbly will acknowledge that we do not pray nearly as often as we ought to. We're not as frequent in prayer as we should be. At times we may struggle with sincerity in prayer. It's easy for us to say the same tired phrases again and again without any meaning or heart. There are times when it's difficult for us to follow as others pray because our minds are so prone to wander and to think about other things. We may struggle with the words to speak. We feel like we're saying the same things over and over again, and we realize that there very well could be much more breadth to the prayers we make and the words we use. And there may be a hesitancy on our part to pray with others, to pray out loud in the presence of others and 
or homes or at school or in fellowship with others of God's people in the church. There's much room for growth in our prayer life. As we consider the subject of prayer over the next number of weeks, it's important that each one of us humbly examine ourselves, examine our hearts, examine our prayers, and come to learn more and more what it is to pray. The following Lord's Days are going to explain the contents of prayer, teaching us what are the right petitions for us to make and the words to use. But this Lord's Day serves as an introduction to the idea of prayer itself. And we learn here important basic principles about prayer. We taught this morning about what prayer is. We're taught why prayer is so necessary and important in our lives We're taught also the proper manner and spirit with which we are to pray. Let's consider the truth of God's Word as it's summarized in this Lord's Day under the theme, the soul lifted up to God. First, let's consider the nature of prayer. Secondly, the necessity of prayer. And then thirdly, the manner of prayer. We could define prayer this way. Prayer is the soul of the child of God speaking to his heavenly Father. In prayer, we are brought consciously into the very presence of our heavenly Father. That comes out here in the language of Psalm 86. In verse 4, there's that phrase from which the theme of the sermon comes. For unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Prayer is the soul of the child of God being lifted up on high into the presence of our heavenly Father. And notice in connection with that what verse 1 says about God's answering and hearing prayer speaks of it in terms of God bowing down his ear. Prayer is the soul of the child of God lifted up. And in prayer, the ear of God is bowed down to hear us. So that it's as if we're in the very presence of God and we are speaking, we're whispering directly into the ear of our Heavenly Father. So often in our lives, God is far from our thoughts. God is never far from us, but in our conscious life, He's far from our thoughts. We don't think about God nearly as often throughout the day as we should. Most often that's because of the busyness of earthly life and all of the activities that we have going on so that God is very far from our thoughts. But in prayer, there's a pause. In prayer, there's a drawing near to our Heavenly Father. There's a coming to stand consciously in His presence. That idea with respect to prayer helps us understand 
why the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. We realize that we can't spend our whole life with our eyes closed and our hands folded praying to God. We certainly need those times of formal, devoted prayer. But to pray without ceasing means that we live then as standing always in the presence of God. God is never far from our thoughts, but that as we're going about our life and our work in the midst of this world, we yet think on God, draw near to Him, consciously stand in His presence. Prayer is a lifting up of the soul to God, drawing near to Him. And prayer is standing in the presence of God, covenant communication with our Heavenly Father. Although the word covenant is not used in Psalm 86, the language that's used here calls to mind the truth of God's covenant. Notice that from several of the verses here. Verse 6 speaks of prayer and the voice of my supplications. But then that truth of prayer is described more graphically throughout the psalm. Verse 3 speaks of prayer as I cry unto thee daily. Verse 4, we've already taken note of, but the lifting up of the soul to God. Verse 7 refers to prayer. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee. Prayer is crying to God. It's lifting up the soul to God. It's calling upon God. And again, the nature of God's hearing is described in verse 1 as bowing down thine ear. Verse 6, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer. Prayer is a child of God calling upon his Father, crying out to him. And it's our Heavenly Father bowing down His ear to hear. And that language and that imagery calls to mind the truth of God's covenant. When we talk about God's covenant, when we write about God's covenant, defend God's covenant, what we may never lose sight of is the reality of God's covenant as His friendship with us. The heart and the essence of the covenant is God's relationship of intimate friendship with us. The Bible says that God established His covenant with Abraham and then time and time again the Scriptures refer to Abraham as the friend of God. The two commonly used illustrations of God's covenant in the Bible are the earthly relationships of a husband and a wife and of parents with children, which at their heart are close relationships of friendship. Belonging to God's covenant means that we know God as our Father and our friend, that we are His children, and friends. Covenant is not an abstract doctrine. The heart of the covenant is life with God. It's a relationship of the closest 
intimacy and and love and fellowship. And essential to any relationship of friendship is communication. You cannot have a close relationship of friendship without communication. In a close earthly relationship of friendship, there's speaking and there's listening. There's the opening of oneself up and the sharing of one's heart, one's struggles, one's desires. In the intimacy of that friendship, there's knowing and there's being known. And that's the truth of God's covenant of friendship with us. Essential to that is communication. God speaking to us. And we speaking to God. Knowing and being known in the security of His love. That communication begins with God speaking to us. God is first. God speaks to us in His Word. In the preaching of His Word. And in speaking to us, He reveals Himself. Tells us who He is. He tells us about His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us about His love, His salvation of us. In Psalm 27, the Word of God describes God's covenant as God telling us secrets. God's covenant with us is a relationship of friendship in which God whispers secrets to us in which He tells us about Himself and about our salvation and His love for us. And in the covenant relationship, we respond in speaking to Him. And that's prayer. God speaks to us. He whispers in our ear the secrets of His love and of our salvation. And in prayer, we respond to Him in thanks, in love, in the opening up of ourselves with all of our struggles and our fears, and bringing them before Him. There's much that we need to say and we want to say to Him. God having revealed to us His greatness and His glory, What we want to say to Him are are words of praise, words of adoration. Psalm Psalm 86 here does that. Verse 8, among the gods, there is none like unto Thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto Thy works. Verse 10, for Thou art great and doest wondrous things, Thou art God alone. Verse 12, I will praise Thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify thy name forevermore. Verse 15, but thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Knowing that God is a holy God and that he reveals in his word the reality of our sins, what we want to say to God is, is a confession of sin and a pleading with God for his mercy and grace. Verse 5, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. God having revealed to us all that he's done for us, 
We want to speak to him words of thanks, gratitude for all of his good gifts to us. And knowing from his word how weak and how needy we are, we want to come to him and bring to him all of our needs, all of our troubles, all of our cares, our fears, our, our struggles. We lay them before him and in prayer commit our way to him. Prayer is drawing near to our heavenly Father and communicating with Him as our covenant God. Understanding the nature of prayer leads us to understand then what a wonder it is. Prayer is something that the smallest little child is able to do. And yet something that is so profound that it baffles the most well-read theologian. Prayer is where faith and hope and love all join together. Prayer is the place where our great neediness comes to see the awesome power of God. Prayer is one of the greatest expressions of covenant and covenant life and fellowship with God that we have on this earth. Prayer is at the very heart of religion. Just as breathing is the expression of physical life, so prayer is the expression of spiritual life. Prayer is the breath of the soul of the child of God. Prayer, therefore, is a gift, it's a privilege to be able consciously to stand in the presence of our God and Father at any time and in any circumstance, in the busyness of our earthly life, in the deepest pit of despair and struggle at any time time and in any circumstance we stand in his presence we have his ear as it were prayer is a gift of God's grace to us and that ought to change then the perspective that we have toward prayer because it's so easy for us to view prayer as another duty as some calling and responsibility that we have to check off of a, a list in order to continue on with something else and something more important. Consider what it would mean in an earthly relationship, some close relationship with another person, if while we claim to love that person and claim that we were close to that person, but we never spoke to that person. Not only did we not have any interest in hearing what that person had to say, we never spoke to that person. What would that say about the nature of that relationship? 
is that how we live in our relationship of friendship with God. Not only cold to hearing God speak to us, but rarely going to Him and speaking to Him in prayer. When we remember what prayer is, standing in the presence of God, having the privilege of speaking to Him, that ought to change our perspective from it being something we have to do to something that we get to do. As others have put it, it ought to move us from the duty of prayer to the delight of prayer. And it ought to be one of the great delights of our soul and of our Christian life that we can speak to God and stand in His presence in prayer. Prayer is a necessity in the life of the Christian. And the Heidelberg Catechism, in explaining the necessity of prayer, mentions two reasons, two reasons why it's necessary and important for us to pray. The first is that God requires this of us as the chief part of our thankfulness to Him. That's the first part of answer 116. Why is prayer necessary for Christians Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. Think of that in terms of the relationship between parents and their children. Parents have the responsibility from God to care for their children, to provide for their needs, to protect them. And as parents, we provide so much for them. And what we teach our children is that the proper response to receiving all of these things is thanks. That thanks is not a repayment, but is the proper expression of one who has received so much and the proper expression of satisfaction. So that when we provide our children with a good meal and when we provide for them a good Christian education and when we're able from time to time to to take them on a vacation, the proper response from the children is, thank you, I'm grateful, dad and mom. God requires prayer of us as the chief part of our thankfulness to him. God has done so much for us. He's established His covenant with us. He's drawn us into fellowship with Him. He's given us His Son to suffer and to die in our place, to deliver us from our sins. He blesses us with all of the rich blessings of salvation in Jesus Christ. And He provides for us all of our our earthly and our physical needs. He's the fountain of all good to us. And the proper response is thanks. Our thanksgiving to God is not our 
repayment and reimbursement so that He's done this and now we pay Him back by our prayers and our gratitude to Him. But our gratitude is the the spontaneous, proper response to having received so much and being satisfied with what He has provided. And the main way in which we express that thanks is in prayer. We show our thanks in other ways. We show our thanks in a life of obedience and of good works, which are done out of thankfulness for our salvation. It's part of the way in which we show our thanks to God. But the main way, as the Catechism says, is through prayer. By first of all, crying out to God and lifting our soul up to Him, Expressing in our words our thanks. Catechism says God requires this. There's a sense in which we can speak of prayer as a duty, as a calling, as a responsibility. Then this is our business as Christians, as Luther put it once. Our business as Christians is to pray. But again, we ought not to view prayer merely in terms of duty as a, as a requirement, as something that's demanded of us. This ought to be our delight when we consider all that God has done for us. We don't need to be legislated to pray to God. That ought to arise spontaneously out of our heart. We're so overwhelmed and so satisfied with all that God has done for us that we can't help but cry out to Him and express to Him our gratitude and our praise. Again, that ought to change the perspective that we have toward prayer so that we're moved from the duty to the delight. And if We do not pray regularly. The question can be put to us. Are you grateful? Are you a thankful person? Or have you lost sight of the wonder of God's love for you? Have you lost sight of the wonder of His covenant friendship with you? Have you lost sight of the the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? What reason we have to give thanks to God? And if we're dwelling much on what God has done for us and dwelling much at the foot of the cross, then we will be much in prayer. Expressing our thanks our gracious God. That first, as to the necessity of prayer, God has done so much for us in prayer, we express our thanks to Him. Then secondly, the Catechism says, as far as the necessity of prayer, and also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him and are thankful for them. What the Heidelberg Catechism teaches there 
is based on the Word of God, for instance, in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, where Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. When the Catechism speaks of God giving His grace to those who ask it, it's obvious that that's not referring to the grace of regeneration. It's not that one who's dead in sin, unregenerated, cries out to God in prayer, God give me that grace, cause me to to be born again. One who's dead in sin and unregenerated, will not and cannot pray that. What's understood here is that it's referring to the prayer of the child of God. One who is regenerated by the grace and the Holy Spirit of God. And the grace that's being referred to here then is the grace of God which sustains us consciously throughout our life as regenerated Christians. God is pleased, ordinarily, to provide us with what we need in the way of our asking those things of Him in prayer. We ask, and we seek, and we knock, and He's pleased to provide. Now some will object to that, perhaps, and say, God already knows all of my needs. In fact, He knows my needs better than I know my needs Himself. Why is it necessary necessary for me then to pray to Him if He already knows those needs and can provide for them? And it's certainly true. God does know our needs. He knows our needs perfectly. He knows our needs better than we do ourselves. And yet, God still calls us to pray to Him. Some may object to this and say, that's man-first theology. But that's not the case. If that's the case, then we have to lay that charge against our Reformed creeds, against the Heidelberg Catechism here, that the Heidelberg Catechism presents a man-first theology. And that's not at all the case. This is not man-first theology theology. For one thing, God is not dependent on our prayers. God doesn't need our prayers in order then to be able to provide for us. And for another thing, God is the one who works in us to know our need. He's the one who works in us, the hungering and the thirsting by His Spirit. He's the one who leads us by His Spirit to pray to Him. And He's the one who hears and who answers. God is the one who works in us from beginning to end. What the Catechism is setting forth here is not what God is able or unable to do, It's setting forth what God has determined is pleasing to Him as the manner in which He's pleased to work. Dealing with us, God does not then deal with us as lifeless stumps and stones. 
He's pleased to deal with us as redeemed, born again, rational, moral creatures. And his point in leading us to pray and answering our prayers is not because of some deficiency in him or because he's dependent on us, but his point is to teach us something. God's point in working this way is to teach us in our own life and by our own experience our need of him. His point is to to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we don't trust in self or anything, whether it's earthly or spiritual, but that we're led then in faith to look to him in prayer for all that we need. Working in this manner, God teaches us our own weakness, our own dependency. He teaches us our need for him so that we're driven by faith in prayer to him for all of our needs. And then we come to learn in our own life and experience that God is the fountain of all good, that he's a faithful father who's pleased to hear and to answer and to provide and to satisfy our needs. Do we have need of God's grace? Then we turn to Him and cry out to Him in faith to provide for us. Do we need grace to fight against sin day after day? Then day after day, cry out to Him for the grace to flee sin and to live a holy life. Do we need the grace of wisdom to deal with what God gives us in our life? Then we Daily and regularly cry out to God to give us the grace of wisdom. Do we need grace to bear up under painful trials? God leads us daily to cry out to Him in prayer. to Give us grace to bear those trials. If we're not regularly in prayer, then the question can be put to us, not only are you A thankful person, but are you a proud person? Are you a self-reliant person? Are you trying to go through life as if you can handle it all yourself? Do you not live in the consciousness of your dependence and your need of God and His grace? Because knowing our need of God and His grace, being humbled in the knowledge of I can't do this myself. We're much in prayer then that God would provide for us. And because we have so much to be thankful for and because our need of God and His grace is so great, then how frequent we will be in prayer. As David says in Psalm 55, verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Not only David though, but the Lord Jesus Christ himself was a man of frequent prayer. Late into the night, early in the morning, before and after some of the major events in his earthly ministry. He prayed. 
Jesus prayed. The eternal Son of God come in human flesh. He who is without sin, all-powerful, prayed. If Jesus prayed, how much more ought we to be in prayer who are weak, who are sinful, who stand so in need of the grace and the Spirit of God to sustain us. We learn from the catechism here the nature of prayer. It's a drawing near to God, speaking to Him. We learn about its necessity. This is how we show our thanks. We call upon God in our needs. And then the catechism teaches us also the proper manner or spirit in which we are to pray. And there's three things that we learn here from the catechism. It's answer 117. First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only, who hath manifested himself in his word for all things he hath commanded us to ask of him. One of the things that we learn from that point is that we're to pray to the one true God as he's revealed himself in his word. Obviously, we're to make our petitions to God alone, not to any other idol God, not some God of our imagining, not some saint or other person, but to God alone. And our prayers are to be infused with a deep knowledge of God as He's revealed Himself to us in His Word. Understanding from the Word of God, having first heard God speak to us in the Scriptures, our prayers in response then, are infused with a deep knowledge of who God is. His power, His majesty, His grandeur and glory, His perfection, His love and grace and mercy and all the rest. Our prayers are shaped by the knowledge of who our God is. And very practically, That's a help to us in prayer. We may struggle at times in our prayers feeling like we're saying the same tired phrases again and again in prayer. One of the ways to grow in our prayers is to pray the Word of God. Open up, for example, Psalm 86 and with eyes open and and staring at the passage if necessary, To pray the very words of the Word of God back to God. To use the words of Scripture as the words of our praise and our petitions to Him. And what comes out from this first point of the Heidelberg Catechism as well is that we're to pray from the heart and with sincerity. It's in this connection that The well-known words of Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 7 apply. He says, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions. While there may be some application of that to praying the same phrases again and again, really what the Word of God is getting at there is the heart and sincerity to, to make petitions, but with a heart that's far from God. God is pleased. 
prayers that arise to him from the heart. So that our words of praise to him in prayer are not just form, but they arise out of a heart that's touched with the awesome glory of God. God is pleased with prayers expressing thanks to him that arise out of a deep well of gratitude for all that God has done for us. And he's pleased with prayers making confession of sin that arise out of a heart that hates sin. Not just a form and not just saying that because we know we're supposed to, but because from the heart we truly sorrow over and hate our sins. And he's pleased with petitions for for all of our various needs that arise out of a heart of weakness, of dependency upon Him to provide. We're to pray to the one true God as He's revealed Himself in His Word from the heart and with sincerity. Secondly, answer 117 goes on and says that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery that so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of His Divine majesty. Prayers, first of all, are to be in the spirit of sincerity. And secondly, that of humility. We're to know our deep need. It ought to live in our hearts and souls how weak I am. A weak creature of the dust who's unable in myself to sustain life and provide for my needs. It's to live in my own soul that I am a a great sinner. And that I have nothing in myself to, to present before God. There's no worthiness in me. So that then, we come before God in genuine lowliness and humility in a a recognition of our undeservedness and a recognition of how we stand in need of Him. That's to pray in faith. As James 4 verse 6 says, But He giveth more grace, wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. The proper manner in which we pray is the manner of humility and lowliness, knowing our unworthiness and our dependence upon God. And then third and finally, we're to pray with confidence. Sincerity, humility, and confidence. That's the last part of answer 117, that we be fully persuaded that He, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as He has promised us in His Word. We may have doubts in approaching unto God at times. And what would lead us especially to doubt is the knowledge of our own sins. I've done this. How can I stand before the holy God? I've sinned so much. 
There's a sense of guilt. There's a sense of shame. How can I have any confidence in standing before a holy God that those sins would be be covered over and forgiven? What right do I have to approach to God, to, to have His ear in prayer? But we're to pray with confidence, humility, born out of our own unworthiness, but also confidence. Matthew 17, verse 20, For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. James 1, verse 6, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. We're to pray in the confidence of faith. That's the confidence that God is our Father and our friend, and He will certainly hear us as He has promised. We have no doubts and no fears then in approaching unto God. No hesitation of standing in His presence, because we know that He will hear and answer us, and that for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. For the sake of Jesus Christ, He will certainly hear and answer us. Lord Jesus Christ gave His life for us. He endured the agonies of the cross. He endured what it was to be forsaken by the Father. In order to pay for our sins, to shed His blood as the the one covering for all of our guilt and our shame. And we know then that when we come before God, those sins are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. We're accepted in His sight For Christ's sake, He will not turn us away. He's a loving Father who delights to bow down His ear and to hear and to draw us near to Him. Not only did our Lord Jesus Christ give His life for us so that we and our prayers are accepted before God, But Jesus now lives ever to make intercession for us. He constantly is praying for us. Standing at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, He is always presenting His blood as the covering for our sins and as the ground of our acceptance with God. And for the sake then of His perpetual intercession, we can be sure That our Father will hear and answer us. To pray is an expression of faith. It's an expression of dependence and trust in God. It's it's an expression of, of confidence in approaching unto Him for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ so that when we pray, we pray in faith. And the assurance that we are most certainly received and heard by our Heavenly Father.
What a delight to speak to our Heavenly Father. Go to Him. Lift up your soul to Him. Cry to Him. Call upon His name. In humility and in confidence. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us pray. Father, who art in heaven, we come boldly before thy throne of grace. Thankful that we are present with thee and thou with us. Thy ear is bowed down to hear. Thankful for thy covenant mercies, for thy friendship with us. Pray, Father, that Thou wilt impress upon us more and more the beauty of that covenant, the wonder of life with Thee, as well as our callings and gratitude to live as Thy friend. Pray, teach us to pray. Lift our soul up on high more and more. Give us to live standing always before Thy face. For all of our failures and our sins, graciously forgive, receive us for the sake of thy Son. In his name we pray, amen. We pray that you were edified by the preaching of the gospel today. Please join us for worship if you are ever in the area. For more information about our church, beliefs, or worship times, please visit our website at prccrete.org.